Nashville SC builds a two-goal lead but cannot hold on to it in Geodis Park. Yet another drop result at home. Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. Usually brought to you by two people who have been covering Nashville SC in their respective disciplines longer than anybody else. Today, you get just me, Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, where I have been writing about the team longer than anyone else. And joining me today is somebody who is relatively new to the scene, Mike Meredith. Mike, uh, introduce yourself and, and uh, tell us how long you've been covering Nashville. <laughs> I was going to say, not nearly as long as you two have. Um, but yeah, I'm Mike. Uh, I guess I would be the photographer for Club and Country. That's uh, fun to say out loud. Um, and I actually, uh, you know, I hope your your uh, listeners don't hate me. I just relocated up here. So this is my, uh, my first season in the uh, blue and gold here. Well, you've got a very different vantage point from what Wes and I usually get to see on Sunday afternoon. It was probably not the most fun for you. <laughs> Geodis Park, once again, does not provide it, prove to be an impenetrable fortress. The boys in gold built that two-goal lead against the Portland Timbers, but couldn't hold it as a penalty kick and a counterattack goal gave the Timbers the chance to get back into the game. Mike, from the photo perch, pitch side, what did you see as this game unfolded? So I would, I would say the game was fun for 60 minutes. It was real, you know, it was that, that. Can't you know, imagine so, what changed there. Right. I, I, if we all left at 60 minutes, we all would have had a great uh, 4th of July. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, we go up 2-0 um, with that Haney goal. And then all of a sudden it just felt like, whoa, 2-0 Portland. We're good. Like, let's just, let's kind of coast through here. And then, you know, as we all saw, you know, the penalty kind of kind of came in. Um, you know, cut the lead to one. And then all of a sudden it was like, uh Oh, you know, there's a lot of time left. There's a lot of, a lot of minutes left. And like I said, I wish we could have ended it at 60. <laughs> Let's, uh, run through what we're going to talk about today. We will begin with the early shout notes from the draw, uh, some, some highs and some lows from that game against the Portland Timbers for an interview. We will preview the Charlotte FC match coming up this weekend with Varun Shunker of the Charlotte observer. And then in the mailbag, you people wanted to know a lot about what to expect from the transfer window. We'll be answering as many of those questions as we possibly can. But first, Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose. Mike, Wes and I talk about this place each and every week. You have not had your chance to talk about it, especially as a, a relatively new transplant to Nashville. Uh, I know you've posted the pictures. You've, you've been there a few times already. Uh, talk to me about what you like about ML Rose. Yeah, uh, I listen. I just from your guys' uh, you know, being being a part of it and them sponsoring the show, I was like, okay, we'll go check it out. So I took the family to the the Nashville Zoo one time, and I was like, oh, let's stop over here for lunch. And it was it was everything you guys talked about and more. You know, the food was good. My son loved it. My wife loved the atmosphere. Like it was. I mean, I got a hat. That's how good it was. Like, I mean, I got a. I, I now wrap it everywhere I go when I walk around town. Yeah, so uh, you know, Wes and I often talk about our our favorite our favorite food item. Have you found a favorite food item in your in your chance to go to ML Rose yet? I mean, so I went one time, and I went okay. with I believe was the the Southern Bell. Okay. Um, you know, with pimento cheese. You know, there was bacon on there, and it was it was it was perfect. It was exactly what I was looking for. Awesome. Well, we are so thankful to ML Rose for sponsoring the podcast. When you think club and country, when you think Nashville soccer, think ML Rose. Thanks again to our sponsor. Let's get into the early shout. Sean Davis fired a laser in the 19th minute and Hani Mukhtar doubled the lead by dunking home a Luke Hawkinson low cross in the 57th. 
you would think with a two nothing lead that Nashville would be feeling pretty safe. It did not take Portland very long to respond. However, uh, goalkeeper Elliot Panico had a bad giveaway and took down Yaroslav Nizgoda to prevent an open net shot. Unfortunately, when you take a player down, that gives them a penalty. Um, Panico did get a hand to the ensuing penalty, but he couldn't keep Dyron Esprias shot out of the back of the net. Nishgoda scored himself on a counterattack in the 69th. And in the span of 12 minutes, Nashville went from a two goal lead to an even scoreline and neither team could find the difference maker to settle the game as anything other than a draw. Mike, what did you think of the way that the game unfolded? I know you gave your impressions from pitch side at the top. What, what did you feel uh, about the way that it unfolded? You know, it was just, it's, it's deflating, you know, when you, when you see, uh, when you see us go up to nothing and, you know, and just, you know, anytime a team comes back and either ties it or wins it or everything, it's just, it's just all the airs out of the balloon, um, you know, kind of looking for momentum to kind of push us into the second half of the season. And, you know, this one was, a uh, I don't know who said it on Twitter, but it was, you know, it was three points or bust. And unfortunately this one uh, felt like a bust. Yeah, we, we've talked about this in the past that there are some draws that feel like you got to win. Um, most draws feel like you got a draw uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. And then this is one of the ones that's the unfortunate third category almost feels like a loss because of the way it, it, it transpires. And I think for Nashville, the, what it means in the table feels like a loss too, because this was a chance to go into third in the table. And uh, that very clearly did not happen with the way it played out. <laughs> Let's look at some gold nuggets. And we'll talk about Nashville giving up those leads because they do not do it very often. They don't even give up results when they score multiple goals. Um, in 2020, they won every single game in which they scored more than a single time. That means they did not um, score two goals and get anything other than a victory. They did not have any of these 2-2 draws that have unfortunately over time become regular. In 2021, they drew the first two games, 2-2, uh, after two goal comebacks and did the same in the seventh game against Atlanta United. But all were comebacks were down from 2-0, and then a back-and-forth game against Atlanta again resulted in another 2-2 draw down in Atlanta. The only time they gave up a two-goal lead was a 2-2 draw late in the season against Orlando. So that is four times a year ago. Um, this year, they have drawn San Jose, Atlanta, and Portland all 2-2. Um, that last one, obviously, we have already been talking about it, was a 2-0 comeback for the guests. Um, they did come back to draw Atlanta in the open cup two two and one in extra time. So that was uh, the slightly uh, better version of, of a draw. Like, <laughs> um, you know, those comebacks are something that we haven't seen from a Gary Smith team. When you see the way this one happened with, with, I guess, goalkeeper blunders, we'll talk about that in a second. It does seem to hurt and feel a bit more like a loss than, than, you know, some of those other options for the way that a uh, two, two game comes about. Yeah. And like, you know, as I was leaving the stadium, you know, just every, you hear people chatting and, and, and it seemed like everybody was just talking goalkeeper. You know, Joe Willis's name was getting thrown out. Panico's name was getting thrown about. I mean, it, it seems like that's the focus, you know, of kind of what's the team got to do to kind of change some stuff up. Um, along with, you know, you always hear it, you know, does Haney need help? And I think mm -hmm. everybody would say yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the case, but. Uh, without without the help, Hani Mukhtar does continue to excel. He has scored nine goals so far this season. That puts him just one goal behind the joint leaders for the Golden Boot. Tati Castellanos of New York City FC, Sebastian Giussi of Austin, and Jesus Ferreira of FC Dallas. Hani is number one in expected goals at 9.78, um, pretty clearly ahead of some of those guys. Just one more conversion would have him tied with those guys in terms of scoring. 
Um, assists, he is not as productive in the traditional numbers. He is tied for 26th with three assists, but he's but he is uh, sixth in expected assists with 4.20. So not only has he not done a perfect job converting, he has uh, re really been let down by his teammates at times as well. 1.2 behind his expected uh, assists. This is a guy who I think most people say is in the MVP conversation right now. Um, very clearly, he's in the MVP. MVP conversation. I think a lot of people would say he's a front runner, but like you just said, he might need help. And, and it does seem like that's the case. Let's look at uh, an, another golden nugget here. And that's Portland's attack coming alive after the break. Portland had zero shots at the half, except for one of which uh, that was blocked off the, the foot of a player that accumulates zero expected goals. If, it, if it's blocked. So they had zero XG at the half. Um, all of their expected goals came after the break. They ended up with just 1.60 total expected goals, though. That's a, a fairly decent number against this Nashville SC team. Um, you, have to, you do have to take into account that 0.77 of that came on a penalty kick. That's how many expected goals a penalty kick is worth. So, um, you know, well under a single expected goal without that penalty kick. And the last gold nugget will be about Sean Davis, the midfielder who scored his first MLS goal since 2017. That is 1,786 days between goals, if my Oof. math is correct. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, Alex Muell also got on the score sheet the last time Sean Davis uh, scored. Uh, Muell got an assist on a Bradley Wright Phillips goal in a 3-1 win against Orlando City. Obviously, on Sunday night, we did not see Alex Muell. He was a late scratch from the lineup, and we'll talk about that a little bit in the mailbag. And then, uh, you know, Davis has not been completely held off the score sheet in the time since. He scored two CONCACAF Champions League goals in the interim for his club, New York Red Bulls. And those are your golden nuggets. We'll pivot really quickly. Uh, it's a lot about a game that <laughs> didn't get, fill anybody with warm fuzzies. Now we'll talk about Charlotte FC. This is a team that started the year kind of hot. They played a number of home games that uh, allowed them to, to be feeling pretty good about themselves have been very poor on the road. They finally won on the road for the first time this past weekend. To learn a little bit more about them, we will go to Varun Shankar from the Charlotte Observer. He's an intern this summer covering Charlotte FC. He is a student at the University of Maryland. Let's go to my interview with Varun. Varun Shankar is a rising junior at the University of Maryland, where he is in the Merrill College of Journalism. And he is uh, currently an intern at uh, in Charlotte, where he covers Charlotte FC as, as one of the many things that he does um, for the Charlotte Observer. Varun, thank you for joining me so much, man. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate being on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's not let's not beat around the bush here. <laughs> let's talk a little bit of Charlotte FC. You mentioned to me that you've only been around uh, Charlotte for about a month now. What have you had a chance to see just generally your your impressions of a club that's obviously new to Major League Soccer? Yeah, so I got in at a pretty a wild time for the club, mm -hmm. right? Because I think I come in and, you know, my second day is, hey, they're introducing this new head coach. They just fired, you know, first season, they just fired the guy. They got an interim coach. Go figure out what's going on. And, you know, one of my first press conferences is the captain, Christian Fuchs, kind of, uh, I think the kindest way to say it is ripping uh, the old coach <laughs> as he uh, goes out the door. Um, and so my first impression of the team was just kind of trying to find out what's up with the new coach Latanzio and where are 
the team, where's the team kind of going from here? Because, you know, you read a lot of different stuff about, you know, as you're trying to prepare to understand a team, you kind of just, you know, read everything you can mm-hmm. find. And you found different things between what was reported and what was said by players as to the reason that uh, Miguel Ramirez was fired. And so there's, there's some interesting, there's some interesting uh, notes and I think we'll probably get into that at some point. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hop into that. Uh, I guess th- your first day, a very exciting first day <laughs> for you. Um, I think when, when Miguel Angel Ramirez was fired, a lot of people were kind of surprised, kind of thinking, Hey, this, this club has achieved a little bit more than we probably thought it was going to first press conference, Christian Fuchs kind of, I, I think threw some cold water on that. What were your impressions of, of what he had to say about, about the outgoing coach and, and their excitement, I guess, for the, for the interim coach? Yeah, so the two main things that I took away from what Fuchs said, there, there were two main things. The first mm-hmm. one is how Ramirez was kind of in like like as a relationship manager, and it mm-hmm. seemed like he kind of wasn't was the issue. Um, <laughs> Fuchs talked a lot about how there were fractures between the team and the coaching staff. Um, let me let me pull up this quote here. He basically said. Uh, he said, I think there was a little bit of players not really buying into what Ramirez is trying to achieve. Um, and, you know, the one thing that he said that kind of stood out to me with that is first day of training under Latanzio. And, you know, we get to see this from the outside. And there's like a short meeting, you know, like a huddle at the beginning of practice, perfectly normal. And then you see that all the higher ups uh, from the team are in attendance. You know, the owners there, David Tepper. Um, and so you could tell like, okay, there's, there's some backing behind Latanzio and Fuchs says, you know, he has a time cause he, he didn't get to practice in that practice, uh, because he had an, uh, an ankle issue mm-hmm. and he's saying that he looked at faces, he looked at the players at the nonverbal communication. And he said that the players were approaching this practice with relief. And he said that he fa- saw a lot of smiles, obviously implying not exactly the case before. Right. And so there's that, um, there's him saying that Ramirez basically had like a closed door policy and really was not receptive to players. Um, and so that's the relationship managing side of it. Right. And the other half of it that kind of stood out to me was they didn't just fire Ramirez. They fire Ramirez, they fire Cristobal Nieto, and then the video analyst, Luis Piedrajita. And Fuchs kind of gave a little clarity onto why those firings might've been as well. So, if we're talking about the assistants and the fitness manager, uh, the fitness coach, he gave um, a direct comparison between the way that Latanzio ran practices and the way that Ramirez ran practices. And he talked about how under Ramirez, the training schedule leading up to games did not have the level of intensity that Fuchs thought was necessary. And in ways, you know, Fuchs kind of intimated that it might've caused some slow starts for the team in games that they were focusing too heavily on tactical stuff, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then um, on, on the video side of things, Fuchs basically said, you know, there's no post-match like analysis being done. There's no, you know, hey, here's what we did wrong in the previous game. There's no film review or anything like that. It's all just looking ahead and making tactical adjustments. So those were the things I kind of took away from the Fuchs uh, press conference that kind of shed some light on too oh, uh, maybe this isn't as, this isn't the rosy overachieving expansion team, or at least that's not the entire story. Right. Well, how has the team kind of adjusted since Latanzio took over? Has has the kind of intended change taken place? Are they a happier team and a team that probably is better set up for long-term success? I think, 
I think that I would say that Latanzio, in a lot of ways, seems to, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but he seems to really, like in his introduction press conference, the main thing I took away was, oh, he's kind of addressing a lot of the things that Fuchs was talking about here. Like he explicitly says, yeah, I'm going to have an open door policy. You know, like if a player needs something, they're going to talk to me. And this is something that Fuchs and Latanzio both talk about, um, the way that he approaches player development which is something I really find interesting with an expansion team because obviously you're not walking in with the best roster in the league. It's a lot of building players up. And Latanzio puts the player at the center of everything. That's something that he mm-hmm. said. That's something that Fuchs said. And I think looking at this year, that's important, obviously, because you don't want to stunt the development of you know young players like Quinn McNeil, George Marks, you know, these rookies, Ben Bender, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to make sure that they're getting the required coaching. And I think... Uh, Latanzio being so player driven is a good sign for the future. Well, I want to touch really quickly on, on Ben Bender. Um, he's a guy who, who was a draft pick. And I think most people had uh, maybe high expectations for him in the long Maryland term, guy. Yeah. I was going to say a, a fellow Terp for you there. That's right. Uh, but I think people expected him to take a little bit longer to have the impact that, that he's already having. What do you think has allowed him to, to step in and do that? I mean, he's just, he thinks the game so clearly. Like, you can Mm -hmm. see he just has an understanding. You know, we were just, you know, casually asking him in a press conference, hey, what are the differences you're seeing between uh, Latanzio's game and Ramirez's, you know, style? And he's, you know, given, like, a great, uh, like, a really in-depth answer. And this is, like, he's a young kid. Like, he's my age, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and he's going out there. Aren't you out there? (laughs) (laughs) Very funny, very funny, yeah. Um I shudder to think how bad that would be. Um, <laughs> um, and then you also see just the the natural talent, right? I think it, mm. it was the I think it was a Red Bulls game. You know, he just casually you see that natural touch, right? You know, he yeah. kind of just sticks his foot in the air, deflects a pass down. The pass, I don't. He, he said, I don't know if the pass was intended to me. I just, you know, thought part of me was thinking about letting it go by, but the instinct just stop, shoot, and he, you know, he fires it, and it gets deflected. It's a bit lucky, but he's really someone you could see kind of stepping into his own as the season keeps going along. And, you know, he, he, he's looked really impressive. Yeah. Going from a guy who, who's been a pleasant surprise to a, to a couple guys who were very much expected to, to be successful this year. That's goalkeeper, Christian Kalina and striker, Carl Swiderski. They are seen as the stars of this team. Do you think that they are, are kind of living up to the billing so far on what you've seen and, and what has allowed them to do that or, or if not, what has prevented them from doing so? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Kalina's game. Uh, you can just tell, you know, he's really athletic. He's able to read the game really well, makes a lot of good saves. You know, anything low, he's, you know, tracking really well. He's really getting to it. Um, he talked about how the environment of Charlotte has really been kind of welcoming for him. Um, he goes from playing in front of a lot of small crowds, he says, to playing, obviously, in much bigger crowds here. You know, he says here, I cannot even compare with my previous clubs because the maximum number of fans I had for away games, not home games, was like 13,000 people mm-hmm. and he comes here and it's like 74,000 in the first game. And he's like, Oh, this like this, he loves it. Right. Yeah. And, and um, I think that's something that he's kind of fed off of. And you can really see he's had a couple of misplays. I think it was the Columbus game. He kind of misplays a ball that comes back to him and it ends up in a goal. And, you know, that's maybe the one thing you can't do as a goalie, right? Like it's hard mm-hmm. to make saves obviously, but you can't give it up like that. Right. Um, but I feel like mistakes like that have been pretty, few and far in between. So he's been really solid. Swiderski's been interesting because he starts out the year, you know, back-to-back two goal games, right? 
Mm-hmm. And since then, it's been a little bit up and down. Um, he had to take a break for the international uh, tournaments. So he's come back from that. Uh, I thought he had a really good game in Montreal. Uh, the team was down, you know, 10 players due to health and safety protocols. And he's in the lineup and he played really well, I thought, in that game. And I was, uh, I, I thought that was, he, he did score, but I thought he had a really solid effort. Um, he's been great. But I mean, honestly, the, the person right now, you know, if you're looking at, maybe the most dangerous person on Charlotte. Uh, it, it might be Andre Shinyashiki. Uh, mm-hmm. Shinyashiki has been fantastic. He scores a, a goal in their last game. Um, you know, acquisition mid, mid-year. Right. Uh, I want to say like five goals in 10 games or something like that. Like he's been, he's been on fire since he got to Charlotte. And he's been a really, you know, for a team that doesn't have a lot of offensive punch, uh, he's been a really, a really needed uh, surprise. Or really needed, you know, uh, injection of attack. Yeah, and Shinyashiki is a guy who uh, obviously I think people remember him as the 2019 Rookie of the Year. What has he provided? Um, obviously, you, you mentioned that he's he's got those goals, but has he changed kind of the way that they're able to play with the, with the skills that he brings? I, I think he's just another, you know, another weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Like another mm-hmm. person that's kind of dangerous. And who knows? Maybe now that he's kind of established himself. Defense has got to pay attention to him now. You know what I mean? And that maybe opens up Swiderski a little bit more. It o- opens up, you know, Camille Joswiak. Joswiak. I'll, I'll be able to pronounce that one day. <laughs> um, you know, it, it opens up more opportunities for a Ben Bender, right? And so mm-hmm. you're seeing it's just more, more offensive talent is never a bad thing, especially for a team that, again, this is not a high-flying offensive team. This is a right. team that's more likely to win one nothing then three, two, you know what I mean? Like this is not, like, I think they're near the bottom of the league in goal scored. So, right. Well, one guy who, who has, I believe only scored one goal since he headed to Charlotte, but is, it makes Nashville fans very sad. He was a huge fan favorite when he was in Nashville as <laughs> Daniel Rios. What is his playing time look like? Obviously you're, you're competing with a guy like Swiderski to get on the field. So he might not be playing the most. What sort of role does he have? And is he somebody that, that Charlotte fans have embraced maybe in the way that Nashville fans did? Yeah, I mean, he it's it's been inconsistent, right? So mm-hmm. if you look back on just June, you see that he plays three games start to finish, and then the last game against Austin, he gets a minute, right? And so it's kind of inconsistent, right. and obviously a lot of that has to do, you know, uh, the Montreal game where he plays the full game. There's no uh, – they're down like half the freaking team at that point, yeah. right? Um, and, and here and there you have the international breaks where Derrick's not available, Jojo's not available – um, so it, it's, it's, it's up and down. Uh, it, it's really a opportunity-based thing or, or, or a situation-based thing, I should say. Right. Um, and that kind of seems to be the way that Latanzio likes to play things. It's very matchup oriented. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll adjust the positional groupings based on what he thinks the game situation is. Mm-hmm. Well, going from, I guess, individual players to kind of the big picture situation, this Charlotte team started off hot, uh, a few very notable results in the first few games, did not win a road game until this past weekend. They, they had been terrible on the road, but very good at home. So what allows them to be good at home? Is it, is it kind of just luck of the draw? Is it, is it, you know, the typical MLS things that people are very familiar with in terms of travel and stuff? Or is there something about the, the atmosphere there in downtown Charlotte that's, that's really kind of, you know, pulling it over the line for them at times? I think it's probably a combination of all those things, right? Like there's some measure that do they – are their home records, is, is their home record indicative of the quality of team there are? Is the away record? 
or maybe is it, you know, you swap three home wins, you swap three road losses, and next thing you know, you have the same record, and maybe this is just a true talent of the team, right? Um, I do think there is something to say that there's been some level of uh, added boost from the right. home crowd. I mean, you know, it's an, it's an expansion team. It's a really... Charlotte's a pretty big soccer area. Mm-hmm. If you kind of factor in both Carolinas are from here, you know, um, I think George Marks was kind of talking and he was on the uh, Clemson national championship team from a couple years ago. And he's like, yeah, I was a little kid who wanted a team to come to represent my States. Right. Mm-hmm. And now he has, I and mean, I think you see kind of the building of this fan base because they fill up the stadium pretty well. You know, they're playing in bank of America, the Panther stadium, and it doesn't look empty is what I would say. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big sign. And it's not like, it's not a situation where it's just opposing fans coming in. It's, you're seeing a pretty good sea of, you know, the powder blue jerseys. Mm-hmm. Well, as you take that kind of home field advantage and, and project that towards the end of the year and, and maybe, Hey, the first road win project that towards the end of the year. Are there any specific spots where, where you think the club will or should kind of shore up the lineup and, and add players to maybe, um, you know, help them take that next step and, and possibly even push for the playoffs. They're right on the edge right now. So they're not too far off. Yeah. So it's interesting because like you said, they're right on the edge of the playoffs. I'm not sure that it's entirely sustainable the way they've done it. Like if you look at goal differential, they're the one, two, three, sixth worst team in the Mm -hmm. Eastern conference. Right. And you're only two spots out of a playoff spot if you go like that, but you know, you can think about it from two angles. One, you're a really good offensive team. You're sorry. You're really good defensive team, not great offensively. Do you want to bolster that offense or do you just want to double down and say, Hey, let's get someone else in here um, to play uh, to play on the back end. But I, I think they've really liked the combination of Guzman Garujo and Anton walks on that back end. Uh, so I don't think they're going to make an upgrade mm-hmm. there if they do. And I'm not like, this is not going to be a team that's swinging for the fences, or at least I don't think that they right. should for right now, but I think if they can make a modest improvement somewhere, to, you know, a connective tissue of that roster uh, to kind of get the ball uh, into more dangerous areas. I think that could be something that they find really beneficial. And you mentioned Bank of America Stadium in there a couple of times. And as we look to this weekend's game, some Nashville fans I know are are making the trip. What sort of experience are they going to have, not just in the stadium, but uh, around town uh, before the game, after the game? I know that it's it's a, a situation where the stadium is right there close to some, some pretty interesting stuff. What are, what are fans going to be able to experience and what should they maybe seek to look to do uh, at kind of adjacent to the game type of activities? Yeah. I mean, it's, you can't uh, overstate how um, you can't overstate like the location of the stadium. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's right in the middle of uptown. Right. And so fans, you know, uh, they should explore the area around, you know, there's restaurants, all that. I would recommend not driving if you can, just because, you know, there's a lot of roads closed off and all that. Um, you know, if, if they're NASCAR fans, obviously Charlotte's a hotbed for uh, racing. So there's a NASCAR Hall of Fame. I would, you know, tell them to check that out. Um, it's, 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 it's a really fun atmosphere around in, in and around the game. Uh, it's uptown Charlotte, you know, there's, yeah. there's going to be something for you to do. Awesome. Well, Varun Shankar, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Charlotte FC. Look forward to this weekend's game against Nashville FC. Um, Tell the people where they can find you uh, on social media or wherever else. 
Yeah, you can find me at at by Varun Shankar, B-Y-V as in Victor, A-R-U-N-S-H-A-N-K-A-R. That's me on Twitter, on Instagram. Follow me. Um, you know, Charlotte FC fans, I'm going to be here for another month. NASCAR fans, same thing. I, I cover both beats. Um, after that, you know, I'm, I'm back to Maryland. So if anyone wants to read about, you know, Maryland sports, I'll be there. Um, follow me. You know, I'm not the most <laughs> prolific tweeter, but I'm there, right? Uh and then you can find my work, obviously, for the summer at Charlotte Observer. Uh, give, me a, give me a read. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you very much to Varun for his insight on Charlotte FC. He told me many times uh, in, the, in the pre and post interview that he is not a soccer guy, necessarily more a sports guy. But uh, I think you guys could tell that he, he knows quite a bit more than he was letting on. But um, before we get into the mailbag... We once again have to give a shout out to our sponsor, ML Rose. Um, 8 South location is very conveniently located to Geodis Park. Uh, Wes claims to stop there before every away game, and it sounds like most home games <laughs> to grab a meal. Uh, so uh, the convenience is something that I bring up a lot because uh, I'm, a, I'm a dude who does not like to drive very much. Um, I, ri- I ride my bike or I walk when I can. Um, the, the convenience to Geodis Park, as, as Wes uh is very skeptical of is something that I, that I like a lot, but um, I think if you're somebody who likes to pregame before the games a little bit, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, as I say every week, uh, I think Wes probably thinks I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> you're the beer guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the beer guy. Love to grab a quick beer, obviously um, because working the games cannot do it um, before, before matches at Geodas park. But um, afterwards, it's definitely a great place to grab a beer and um, you know, either commiserate if the if the result turns out like Sunday nights did or go celebrate with with friends if it's a, a little bit happier result um you know when we when we talk about ML Rose the important thing and this is a very important thing not just for the soccer world for me but also in the beer world is is the community that's there and these guys want to they want to have bartenders who can who can chop it up with you about the soccer game they want to have bartenders who who understand why a bunch of people wearing gold come in and are either very happy or very unhappy um and we're super excited uh to have emil rose sponsor the pod mike do you have any do you have any uh any final emil rose words for our for our second ad right here i mean i can i i can say that i believe west actually does stop after uh before after every away game i always uh message him uh, DM him on Twitter and I go, all right, what are we having to uh, kind of smooth over this loss or smooth over this draw? So, uh, and he does, he always goes, he's always giving me an answer. So I don't think he's lying there. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, let's get into the mailbag. And I feel like we have been hearing way too much of my voice. Mike, you are going to be the voice of the fan for this mailbag Ooh. section. All right. So uh, let's fire away. Hopefully I can, uh, I can give, give some adequate answers here and, and you're, feel very free to jump in with any thoughts you have as well, but sure. No problem. Uh, we will go to uh, JR here. He asks, uh, do you know what happened to Alex Mule? Was he injured? Yeah. I asked Gary Smith about it after the game, or I, I kind of inserted it halfway through a question, hoping that he would answer it with a little <laughs> bit of a, a little bit of honesty. He did say that the absence wasn't planned. It sounded like they had practiced, uh, and trained to have Mwil in the lineup. Um, so it said it wasn't planned, which sounds like a late scratch. Um, so it does sound like it was an injury. Does not sound like it's very significant. We will see when the injury report comes out this week. I don't think they're going to be spilling any beans about it before then. So did um, did we switch up the kind of formation because he was out? Or did, did you yeah, have so anything that, that kind of, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of how I, I got Gary to open up about it. I said, you, you guys did, went with a different 
tactical approach was that because Alex was unavailable and Gary said, yeah, that wasn't planned. We kind of had to switch what we were doing midweek. So yeah, that was definitely a big part of it for sure. The honesty from him is just yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Listen, if you, if you, uh, if you cultivate a good relationship with Gary, he's going to be, he's going to be very kind and, and honest with you a lot of the time. Nice. Um, all right. We'll move on to the next one here. Uh, this one's from uh, John Mueller uh, with the secondary transfer window opening this week. How many moves would you say it's reasonable to expect from Nashville to make? If any, which players are already in the league would be on your list would wish list, uh, you know, realistically uh, acquiring if you uh, if you were the general editor. Yeah, so to, to give a little context here, the transfer window does open Thursday. So that's the seventh by the time anybody is listening to, to this. That is tomorrow. Um, there will definitely be moves. Um, I would go so far as to say that players whose seasons have ended elsewhere uh, who are no longer with their previous clubs, have trained with Nashville SC already. Um, and the one that everybody's assuming, the one that everybody's long had an eye on, is obviously U.S. men's national team right back Shaq Moore. Nothing has led me to believe NSC has given up on him or will give up on him. Um, unless and until he signs somewhere else, I don't think he's likely to stick with Tenerife. So that's something to, to uh, keep an eye on, regardless of whether it's with Nashville. As for intra-league moves, I would honestly inquire about Dom Dwyer from Atlanta United. He's a late game goal getter who's already made Nashville suffer this year uh, <laughs> with, uh, with one of those. He has had a hard time getting on the field for Atlanta um, because they do have Joseph Martinez back healthy um, and all the high powered talent that they high powered, high dollar talent that they have. Um, if we assume that the right back situation is already sorted, as I kind of just implied that I, I do believe that to be the case. There's really not much more needed in terms of volume of other moves. You want more attacking depth, but you don't necessarily want starter quality attacking depth. Um, Nashville has already uh, basically acquired a midseason transfer by getting Randall Layall back healthy. You don't want to bring somebody in who thinks he's going to start and then either has to sit behind Layall or benches him because you don't want to bench Layall either. So I do think that that's the, uh, that that's the situation that – um, Nashville is in right now. There's, there's not a ton of need. And I know that's probably not the way it feels after a, a downer of a result, but it's something to, to keep an eye on in terms of not really thinking that Nashville needs a ton. Yeah. And it's interesting, like saying, you know, we have the, the new addition with uh, Leal being back is so true. Mm -hmm. Like even just bringing the ball up the pace, you know, he's flying everywhere. Like it does feel like a new signing kind of halfway through the season. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, we talk about Hani Mukhtar needing more help and, and, that could be that could be it. It could just be Randall getting back healthy because when we saw last year when this team was at its best, it was with Randall Layal and Hani Mukhtar combining, and, and CJ Sapong was in a little bit better form at that point last year than um, we've seen out of him quite yet this year. But it's something that uh, a healthy Layal can be a game changer for this team for sure. All right, the next one comes uh, from Valer. Uh, how many players do you think NSC signs this transfer window, and what positions? Any expected departures? Yeah, I just talked about what the positions would be expected or, or possible, and that's obviously right back. We've talked about Shaq Moore. Wes and I are, are almost uh, tired of talking about Shaq Moore. We talk about him so much. Um, attacking depth more than attacking starters, but otherwise, I do think it would take departures to, to sign more players for this team, at least if you're going to sign players that you think are going to contribute. If you sign a guy who's who's a homegrown, like we saw Handwala Buana sign, um, you know, that was kind of a, a future play. Maybe that sort of signing is, is a possibility, but in terms of guys who are going to contribute this year, it would require departures probably. 
for example, get if you get a right back, maybe Eric Miller is a departure, or um, you know, if you get a if you get a center back, maybe one of your depth center backs is a departure. But at this point, I think you know, you're, you're there are going to be outs if there are ins, and there are going to be ins only if there are those outs. I feel like half of our fan base has Shaq Moore jerseys just ready to go, <laughs> and like I don't yeah. want them to be let down. So I mean, yeah. it has to happen. All right, next one's from uh, Logan Elliott. I'm beginning to feel like our primary problem this season is the goalkeeping. Do you agree, or is there something else you can attribute to our current difficulties? Um, I mean, you're the small sample guy. Is this uh, <laughs> is, is this going to be one of your quote-unquote small sample sizes? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I mean, I. it's tough. With Panico, it definitely is. Um, with Willis, we have a big sample size that says he's pretty good, and so far this season, the sample size is probably big enough to say he's not playing well. Is it, is it big enough to say that he's a different player than he was in previous years? It does feel like the sky is falling down, but our current issues, as I give scare quotes that nobody will see because <laughs> this is an audio medium, it, that's kind of overstating it to me. I, I know that there are annoying, disappointing results, including Sunday, but this team is still in playoff position and it's just one of those results away from having been in position to host two playoff games. You know, if they had one more win instead of a draw, um, you know, so I, I will say, I will say both Willis and Panico have been below average. The sample sizes are small. Yes. yes. Um, so, so, so for now, I think we can sit tight on that. I mean, it's crazy to think though, that Panico isn't going to, you know, push for a number one spot here. I feel like, you know, people have their, their favorites. Um, yeah, I think it's, 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 you know, with both goalkeepers, it's hard to kind of look at Panico and be like, wow, is that, you know, is he the future? Is he coming in? Is he's pushing for it hard? I mean, he possibly had the same of the save of the season mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus uh, Portland on Sunday. And it was just, you know, he popped out of nowhere and like, you can't right. keep, you know, skill like that off the field. So, I mean, is, is he pushing for that number one, which rolls into Isaac's uh, question was, is Panico the new number one? Um, Alex and Nathan had similar uh, questions as well. You know, is Panico going to revert to the mean on X howlers yeah to take Nathan's last part there first if he doesn't have the howlers that unfortunately he did have the one of um on Sunday and uh he he had some scary moments in previous matches as well <laughs> if if he cuts those out he could be a really special player um you know to get to Isaac's question specifically and Alex asked the same thing is is Panico the new number one if you had asked me this and people did ask ask me this in our past two episodes <laughs> Um, I, I, I said, no, he's, he's a guy who's showing he can, he can play, but he's not necessarily done enough to unseat Joe Willis. I think at this point, um, that's probably still the case from my perspective, but if you saw Gary Smith, make a change and say, Elliot Panico is the number one, I don't think you'd have anybody complaining. I think he's done enough to say I am a number one capable guy. Am I, am I somebody who has locked down the number one spot? Probably not, but I, but I have the ability to do it. Everybody knows it. Um, and especially people who are who have kind of been already a little bit iffier on Willis, seeing another guy who has at least the ability to to make the exciting save that maybe we haven't seen as much out of as Willis, even if he's going to have higher variance because he does have those those expected howlers, is is something that um, I think a lot of fans at this point would probably take. And uh, shout out to Mama Panico. She liked one of our images last week. So uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Mama. Uh, next question is uh, from Harold. Is uh, Chicho Arango 
a real possibility. And if I butchered that name, I apologize. Uh, you, you got it. You got it. And <laughs> Uncle Beasy asked us a similar uh, version of that question. Um, Chicho Arango is is the player that LAFC has basically out and outside that they're going to get rid of. Um, I guess to take it back to uh, the question that was asked earlier, I believe it was Valer, uh, or no, it was uh, John Mueller, our, our consistent question asker, John Mueller, who said anybody within the league. <laughs> Arango would be somebody who makes sense there. Nashville has a ton of allocation money, and LAFC has has put out that they basically are are willing to part with him. And since you know they're willing to part with him, you know you can get a better price than if they hadn't kind of put that out there yet. And that seems like uh, something that Mike Jacobs is is always talking about valuing the undervalued. Um, I don't think anybody's going to consider Chicho Arango to be necessarily an undervalued player uh, in the grand scheme, but in terms of what it would cost to get him, it might be worth it. I mean, I hear LA signing people left and right, you know, maybe some big names. I mean, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> maybe some World Cup players. Yeah, I mean, you know, that soccer icons would say, I don't know, you know. <laughs> Uh, we got one here from Blessed Day Coffee Roasters. Let's try starting Loba at least six to eight of the remaining 16 games, and we'll all have a better idea of what he can and cannot do for us. Do it now, and you'll know if he can take you deeper into a playoff run. Not so much a question, but more of a very pointed statement. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, a fair a fair question or idea <laughs> to, to, to ask us about. <laughs> I, I would say that, uh, what, from what we've seen of Loba, and I will say his his performance Sunday showed quite a bit more of of why it's being diff- it's been difficult for him to get into Gary Smith's good graces. Is he does have that that moment of incredible talent, but you mm-hmm. see too many moments of letdown. And um, you know, I I understand that we want to see it on the field. Um, we want to see it on television and, and get a view of it. Gary Smith gets to evaluate these guys every day in training, and he kind of has an understanding that that's what you're going to get from Loba at this point. I think we've seen more of the flashes in recent weeks, and, and that gives me yeah. some faith that if he can get the cut out kind of the low end, the high end is still there. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, um, you know, just kind of being new to, you know, Nashville, see, mm-hmm. um, just watching, I kind of draw comparisons to kind of what was going on in uh, – Tottenham in the Premier League with um, Nadam, uh, oh my God, <laughs> Nadamale, um, just the you know brilliance. You see him, you know, spin past the defender, take a nice shot, and you're like, oh my God, yes, give me this mm-hmm. all the time. And then it's like, you know, not not tracking back, missing yeah. a tackle. And, you know, it's it's those little things that just kind of kill you and make you go, oh my God. Yeah, and if if we know anything about Gary Smith, it's those little things are probably more important to him but at least right. as important as, as that top end for sure <laughs> little to me big to gary <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right we got one coming from brian wilson does two, uh 2022 july nsc beat 2021 july nsc that's a tough one because um you know as i just said uh sort of in response to the the multiple questions about the keepers it, it really doesn't feel to me like the sky is falling down i know it's upsetting that uh, the home form has not been very good, but I think if anything, this team is is basically the exact same as it was last year. It would take, uh, you know, I guess a, a difference in in just luck on the day. They're very similar teams. The problem is that this Nashville team this year is doing it in a different way, and it's a way that feels worse. For example, giving up a two goal lead, and I think that's what people are more worried about. I do think it's pretty much the same team, and hopefully, we, we see the same sort of run towards the end of the year as we saw last year as well. 
Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think, uh, you know, earlier in the show, I think we're what only one point from third if we, if we won. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're still up there. This, like you said, the sky is not falling. So it, that's always a uh, nice to silver lining to look back on. All right. That is it for the mailbag. Thank you so much to everybody who asked the questions. Uh, you know, we, we have our, our usual question askers like John and, and Logan, and we appreciate you guys. We also appreciate you who, are, who don't ask us as frequently. We're excited to see a few first-time askers this week as well. But let's get into the final whistle. Content recommendations. I have one this week. It is Why uh, Data Shows That Everyone Lies to Us. It's a book. I, I recommended uh, a soccer stats book or a, a soccer-oriented book about statistics. Uh, statistical analysis a couple of weeks ago. I like this book a lot more. It's kind of the same thing, just not about soccer. It, it kind of is telling you uh, uh, stories that that the data can tell you. And um, everybody who's read the site knows I, I obviously love data analysis and I'm constantly striving to do a better job communicating data analysis. And this is the sort of thing that kind of teaches you a lot of, a lot of you know, that that the 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 number is not the answer it's what the story you can tell around the number is and that's something that is that i've really gained from this do you have anything to recommend mike i do actually um i recently caught um it was from a couple years ago it was a copa 90 story um on nottingham forest um you know them kind of coming up in the premier league now you know they're going to be on front and center for a lot of people um really cool story um you know i didn't know much about them so it was kind of cool to kind of see you know just how that community you know surrounds that team and you know it kind of ties back into uh you know kind of what we do kind of at nsc you know we, we have a big community that you know gives hugs to everybody i think stoops gives hugs right i mean that's uh, that's what he's known for he'd be so, hugging he'd be hugging so i mean it was uh it was cool parallels to kind of for the community angle for that one awesome and i want to give actually one more content recommendation it's very Whoa, self bonus it's very self-serving to both of us um, everybody <laughs> My, mike's awesome photos um, from basically every home game, show up at clubcountryusa.com. Um, this dude is an, is an amazing photographer. I'm, I'm very blessed that he uh, has offered his services. <laughs> um, it's, very, it's something that I'm very appreciative of. And Mike, I'm also appreciative that you joined me to, to stand in for Wes. Uh, you did a very good job. So maybe, maybe we'll hear less Wes pulling in our lives going forward. But <laughs> if he wants to go on vacation, I will, I will sub in for the silky smooth voice. That is Wes. You know, I know I, I heart guy, but uh, I'll hold my own. Well, thank you to you, Mike. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to Emil Rose for keeping our, our microphones on. Thank you to moon taxi for providing the music. Something that, uh, I, I am actually going to very, uh, firmly recommend rate review, subscribe to write a review on, on Apple, uh, Apple podcasts, uh, tell a friend about tell a friend about the show. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Club Country USA. Even though he's not here, we'll say follow Wes at West Bowling TN. Follow Mike on Twitter at underscore Mike Meredith. Um, his photos are up there. His photos are all, often on my Twitter site. His, his the graphics that he that he made before the season are uh, when I remember on the Twitter site as well. Please uh, check us out on all of those places. And thank you to the 440 Sports Network for putting these audio waves out into the world. Thank you to all, and thank you to you, Mike. Thanks, appreciate it. Um, where's the stop button?